0: Almighty God, are you well pleased? Do you love receiving the praise of instruments that were designed especially to praise you? Do you love receiving the praise of men and women who have studied hundreds, thousands of hours to be able to read notes on a page and make beautiful sounds come out of instruments? Are you delighted with the voices of people who've gathered together this morning lifting their voice to you, O God. Are you well pleased with those who have been inspired by your Holy Spirit to write the music and the words based on your word of truth that has drawn us into your presence with celebration this morning? Why don't you ask him if he's well pleased with you, my friends? Go ahead. Why don't you ask God in the quietness of your hearts, is he delighted that you're here today? Is he well pleased with the attitude of your heart coming to him in worship? Is he thrilled when he thinks about what he's going to do in your life in these next moments as he speaks his truth to you? Why don't you thank him for loving you? Why don't you thank him for choosing to create you and sustain your life every moment to this moment? May I invite you to be seated as we continue in prayer together? Because, God, uh, we have much to pray about. And this dear group of people, many, many of them, love to have conversation with you. God, there was a tragedy in our community this week. A little baby, mauled by dogs, And so we want to pray, oh God, for the family and the friends of that family. Would you just intercede right now, right where you're sitting, for everyone who has been touched by that horrific event, that God would somehow bring the peace that only God can bring into the hearts and the minds of the people who are deeply grieving as a result of that situation. God, you safely brought our Haiti team back. Thank you for protecting them while they were there. Thank you for giving them the energy, the strength that they needed to accomplish their mission. Thank you for what you did in their hearts and their lives and how they have come back as changed people. God, thank you for what you did Friday night with daddies and daughters and granddads and granddaughters. <laughs> those are special memories that those little girls are going to hang on to for a long time. God, we have some grieving families in our midst. We're, we're praying for Jeff and Vicki Taylor as Vicky's mother went home to be with you this week and the service will be tomorrow in this room. God, we're so glad that you understand the pain that we experience when we lose a loved one, but the joy that we hold to when we know that loved one knew you and has simply stepped from here to your presence. God, may we lift up before you our dear friend uh, Marilyn Alfredson, diagnosed this week with terminal leukemia, who almost always sits right here in the second row in this service, has been a part of this church since she was a baby, born into a family that was one of the charter members of this church in 1921. We, we lift her before you, God, today, and I praise you for how much she trusts you and she thanks you as she now realizes it may be only a matter of a few weeks before she steps into your presence. Now, how about if we pray for each other? Why don't you put your hand on the shoulder or the arm of the person sitting next to you? You might not know that person very well, but I don't think they'll mind. If you do that, just pray for them. Just to start praying, please, that God would bless that person, touch that person right at the point of their need today, whatever that might be. We thank you and praise you, God, that you must just be delighted when a group of people like this comes together to meet with you. Thank you that it's been going on now for, oh my, more than 18 hours since Sunday started on the other side of the world. And finally, we get to add our praise to Asian praise and African praise and European praise, South American praise. Now we open our minds and our hearts to hear from you. Please speak to us. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to dismiss the children that I love so much, the little ones up through grade four, to some wonderful adults, including my dear wife, who I know is well-prepared, and I'm sure the others are as well. And would you permit me to remove my jacket this morning? Would that be okay? Would anybody mind if I do that without tearing everything apart here? Jeff? Jeff? Welcome back, my friend. I'm sorry that was such an ex- complicated process. But here's why I did it. I'm getting on an airplane tomorrow and uh, many hours later and several airplanes later I'm going to get off in one of the darkest, blackest places in the world. A place where they say there is no God generations ago the government in that place declared there must not be God. God is getting in our way so let's make a national declaration there is no God and let's make it against the law in this nation to worship this Jesus. Let's burn Bibles and burn churches and let's arrest pastors and let's stop this God thing. Not long thereafter in that nation the people who had already become bored with God Most of them said, that's fine with us. We really don't need God. They're a a spiritual people. You might even call them a religious people. They worship their ancestors. There are businesses in this country that that produce uh, either cement or or plaster or even plastic statues and idols, and they paint them very carefully, and they put them on street corners and and in their businesses and their homes. They even build temples for them. But in this place where I'm going, there is no talk of heaven. There is no heaven. There's no talk uh, of forgiveness for sin because there's no Savior. After death, reincarnation. Maybe you'll come back as a bug. Why am I going there? There are three of us going, two from other parts of the United States, and we've been asked to go by an organization that would like us to study the spiritual condition of a city of 10 million people. We'll spend almost 10 days in that place, talking to anyone that we can talk to, with care and caution, of course, trying to understand what is the spiritual condition of that place. May I ask you to do something while I'm gone? Would you make an assessment of the community where you live? What is the spiritual condition of Elkhorn, Delavan, Fontana, Williams Bay, Twin Lakes, Genoa City, wherever you live? Would you ask God to show you what that means to Him and what He would like to do about that? A place where there is no God. Think about that. And so I wrote for you on the front of your worship folder, as you can see, as Easter 2013 approaches, from every corner of our world comes the question, is there such a thing as reliable, unchanging truth? In American society, as our foundation of rock-solid truth crumbles under the weight of politically correct opinion and tolerance, where do we point the next generation for the truth stability needed to build their future. Isn't that a fair question? Uh, One of the theme verses that we have this year, as you know, says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, would you say it with me? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come, and all this is from God. Stop. All this is from God. That is assuming there is a God. It's assuming that you and I believe there's a God and that we've come to know that God and we've placed our faith and our trust in, in Jesus Christ and He has changed us from who we were and the new has come. Amen? But that means nothing in the place where I'm going because little children for generations have grown up in a place where they've said, there is no God. Don't waste your time or be deluded by that kind of thinking. So this morning... Let's find out about that. Every time I write the notes for you that I put in your worship folder, in the box at the top, I always choose a verse that will be kind of a focal point for the morning. Look at the verse I chose. Psalm 119 says, I have chosen the way of truth. I run in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. Once they were finally printed, I took out my pen and I signed right there in that box, and I'd urge you to do the same if that's true for you. Are you a person who you could honestly say, I have chosen to live my life according to the way of truth? Or if you're really honest, I'm choosing my life to live according to what's popular at any given moment in time. Depending on what conversation I'm a part of, I'll just kind of blend in to whatever feels comfortable there because I sure don't want to offend anybody. And I sure don't want anybody to not like me. I've chosen the way of truth. You, you see, capital Y, you, God, have set my heart free. Can you, can you sign and say, that's me? I've been set free from the guilt and the shame of my past. Amen. I've been set free from the fear that used to hold me. I've been set free from the things to, to which I was addicted. The things that were tearing my life apart. Jesus has set me free. And I've been set free too, to hope. To anticipate that God has great things for me tomorrow. And, and he wants to do through me things that are significant tomorrow and the next day. And the hope of a heaven that awaits me, huh? Where does that come from? It comes from truth. And where do you find truth? God's Word. So would you take your copy of God's Word, whether you brought one with you or it's under the chair in front of you, and turn me, I suggest, to one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. It's almost right in the middle. Isaiah chapter 45. Because I think that's the chapter, among others, that really answers the question, what about truth? Isaiah chapter 45, verse 5 says, I am the Lord. And there is no other. You know that when you see the word Lord, and it's all in capital letters, that is the Lord that we sang about this morning, Jehovah, Yahweh. That is the name that God gave himself when on the top of Mount Sinai, he and Moses were having their conversation at the burning bush. And when Moses said, okay, suppose I go back and I say to the people, I've met with God. And the people say, oh yeah? Well, what's this God's name? Moses said, what am I supposed to tell him? Moses, you tell him that you met with I am. I am. I'm everything. I am the source of all things because I created it all. I am more than you will ever be able to understand. I am more than you will ever need. I am eternal. I am. Yahweh. Jehovah. Translated in English, Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. I am The Lord, and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me, so that, verse 6, from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, in other words, the whole earth, men may know that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Verse 12 It is I who made the earth and created mankind upon it. My own hand stretched out the heavens, I marshaled their starry hosts. Verse 18 for this is what the Lord says, he communicates, he speaks he who created the heavens, he is God he who fashioned and made the earth, he founded it and he did not create it to be empty, but he formed it to be inhabited and he says I am the Lord and there is no other I've not spoken in secret from somewhere in a land of darkness I've not said to Jacob's descendants, seek me in vain, I the Lord what does it say next? Speak the truth. There it is. The origination of truth is with God himself. He defines truth. And you know what? He has the right to define it. Because he created it all, he designed it all, the designer has the right to decide how it's supposed to function, right? (laughs) And it's as though God says to you and to me, when you can create something out of nothing, then you get to decide what truth is. Uh, Until then, I decide what truth is because I created it all. Do you see it there? The Lord speaks the truth. I declare what is right. Do you see the difference? Right is moral, right and wrong. Truth is truth and false. So in my notes, do you see it there? God defines truth. Right? Do you agree with that? You see, every person has to decide where does truth start? Where does it come from? And in the world that you and I are living here, in America particularly, increasingly truth is opinion, right? Truth is opinion. But God says, no, uh, truth is the opinion of only one, me, God. Now you may not like my truth. You may not agree with my truth. But I get to declare what truth is because it all started with me. Amen? (laughs) When Jesus was here and he was standing before Pilate and Pilate asked him, so what is truth? Jesus answered, For this cause I came into the world to testify to the truth. You Remember later on he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So I have to ask you, no matter how long you have lived in your life journey, where is your source of truth? Where do you go when you need truth? What defines for you what is right And what is wrong? I'm going to a place where they have said for generations, get out, God. We would like a society that has no influence at all of God, that lets us define what is right and what is wrong, what is true, what is false. I have a question for all of us, and it's one of the reasons that I'm going. Could we ever get to that point in America? You you see, here's how it happened. A, A government that said, God is getting in the way of our agenda. There is no God. And a people who said, we're bored with God anyway, that's fine with us. And it converges together, and everybody agrees there's no God. Could we ever get to that point in America? Hmm. Scripture is God's truth. God spoke truth. Men heard God speak it and wrote it down for us. You see there? All Scripture is God-breathed, spoken. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. And then you see in your notes there that I've got prophets and Holy Spirit and so on. What I mean by that is when you look at those other Scriptures that I've mentioned there, prophets, for instance... In 2 Peter, uh, chapter 1, it, it says this. Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Uh, what we have as the Bible, Scripture. The Holy Spirit of God spoke into the minds and the hearts of those who wrote under the influence, under the direction of God Himself. Right? The Holy Spirit, Jesus said to His disciples in the upper room. It's recorded for us in John 14. The Holy Spirit will help you remember. It will remind you of the things that I have taught, that I have said. Matthew was sitting in that room. John was sitting in that room. The Holy Spirit helped Matthew and John remember the experiences that they had had, the things that Jesus said, and wrote them down, and it's the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of John little Mark, wasn't in that room. He was a teenager at the time, but he spent a lot of time with Peter. Dr. Luke, the the Greek physician, he wasn't in the room, but he traveled with Paul, and he tells us in the first few verses, you remember, of Luke chapter 1, Theophilus, the man for whom he was writing, I've made a careful investigation. Now, if you know a physician, you know what that means. I've asked a lot of questions. And so under the Holy Spirit's direction, I'm writing for you this gospel account. Paul said as he writes to the Galatians, What I'm writing for you, I have not learned from any other human being. Jesus himself revealed it to me. This, my dear friends, is a miracle book. Do you agree with that? A miracle book. God's words inspired by the Holy Spirit to you and to me. So we can know God, so we can understand our world and ourselves. God's eternal truth is unchanging. God said, and it's recorded for us in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, I, the Lord, do not change. And if God doesn't change, then His truth doesn't change. Is that true? So what was true in the days of your parents and your grandparents and a thousand years ago is still true today. From God's perspective, God's truth is unchanging. Your word, O God, is eternal. It stands firm forever, regardless of political opinion or popular opinion, right? Right? Jesus, when he was praying, and it's recorded for us in John 17, as he's praying to the Father, he says, Father, your word is truth. He didn't say, your word is true. He said, your word is truth. Do you see that, my dear friends? We have a place where we can go to find God's truth for life. And it's actually in our language, in multiple translations in our language. The place where I'm going, that's not true. It is translated in their language. But as I understand it, if you are caught owning one, you'll be arrested. Why? Because it's a subversive book that undermines the plans of the leaders of that nation. So what would you do about that if you lived in a place like that? Some folks just take one page and they read it over and over again and they memorize it. When it's really locked into their minds they wrap it up very carefully and pass it to a friend so that friend can read that page and then they receive from that friend the page they had. May I ask you a question? What's it worth to you? A hundred dollars? A million dollars? If your house caught fire could you find your Bible? And how many other things would you run to get first before you found your Bible and carried that out? May I ask you that? You couldn't buy this from me. If the president called me and said, for some crazy reason, Pastor Doug, I'm going to let you drive a truck down to Fort Knox. Take as much as you want, but give me your Bible. Sir, I'm sorry. You can't pay me for this. This has 25 years of my life. Every page in this book has a marking on it just about of a significant experience that I had with God. You, you couldn't possibly pay me for this. How about you? What does yours look like? I think I've had the privilege of doing maybe 36 or 37 funerals since I've come here to Calvary. Privilege because almost all of those people were people who loved Jesus very much. And when I sat at their bedsides and I said, could I open your Bible? Oh my. Some of them looked like they'd been dragged behind a truck for six years. Uh, all beat to death. But oh man, the precious markings in there. So when it comes to my opportunity to stand in front of the people with the casket right here, I open their Bible and I read what they have marked because it's that precious to them. I sat yesterday with uh, Marilyn Alfredson She normally sits right where you're sitting, sir. Her ancestors were charter members of this church. She has just received the news that she has acute leukemia. Maybe a month. The smile on this dear woman's face. (laughs) Marilyn, tell me about when you met Jesus. Oh, Jesus lived in my house when I grew up. (laughs) My parents loved Jesus my parents read God's word all the time from my earliest recollection Jesus has been so precious to me so how do you feel Marilyn about this news I trust him and if that's the way he wants to call me home I'm ready how about you the value of God's truth in your life huh Look, my friends, God's truth hinges on Easter. Do you agree with that? We're coming into the most important season of the calendar. For God so loved the world. <laughs> Four statements that you're going to see on the screen. I'm trying to concise Easter if I can. I wonder if you'd agree with this. God incarnate is sinless Jesus the Christ among us. That's important in Easter, right? Right? Because Jesus said, if you don't believe I am who I claim to be, you're going to die in your sin. There's no other way out. I've came, I've come to rescue you from your sin. Jesus' crucifixion is our sin ransom. Remember, Jesus had said, I've come to give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus' resurrection is his triumph over sin and Satan and death. Amen? That's what we celebrate at Easter. Isn't that true? But I'm going to a place where there is no Easter. Think about that. There is no Easter because there's no Jesus. There's no forgiveness for sin. There's no resurrection. There's no hope. How important is Easter to you, my dear friends? Paul wrote Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, the truth. If Jesus Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sin. Jesus' return to glory is our hope. Our hope of salvation because from there He intercedes for us and He redeems and rescues us in response to our turning to Him and trusting Him for our salvation. Isn't that true? And that's why last week we showed it to you first. We have it again for you in your worship folder this week. There's a green insert that shows you all the things happening during Holy Week. We're going to be exhausted as a pastoral staff when we get to the end of Holy Week, but it's going to be a wonderful exhaustion. We have prayed and we believe that God wants there to be many things for you to be able to attend and bring your friends with you because Easter is the hinge point for humanity. Without Easter, there is no old is gone, new has come. Isn't that true? Without Easter, there is no forgiveness. And so recognizing the situation of so many families in Walworth County, we're going to bring the Courageous movie back again. We're going to show it here free of charge. Bring families with you. You remember how powerful it is, right? The Rock and the Rabbi is coming all the way from Florida, all 13 of them with all the instruments. It's going to be a wonderful, celebrative evening. We've been telling you about it. They'll be in four different places. Burlington is already pretty well sold out. be in Janesville and they'll be right here in this room Saturday between Good Friday and Easter Sunday, one in the afternoon and four in the afternoon. We're ticketing so that we don't try to get 900 people squeezing into a room that can't handle that many. Do you have your tickets yet? They're only $10 because there's been a a wonderful financial support of this to keep the tickets real cheap. Have you already thought about who you could bring who loves music? It's a story of the relationship between Peter and Jesus. It's a wonderful thing. It's been at the Fireside Theater two summers. I've seen it twice I urge you, don't miss it. Good Friday night, our bilingual celebration. As we join with our Hispanic congregation, they have 10 people who are ready to be baptized. They'll be telling their stories in Spanish. It'll be translated for us into English. Hopefully several of you would like to be baptized as well. I've got packets for you at the Welcome Center. If you've never stood before your family and a group of people to declare yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, be baptized, my dear friends, the Lord Jesus invites you to that. Easter Sunday, three worship services, not two, 8, 9, 30, and 11, and a sunrise service at 6, 30. Why? Because it's the hinge point of humanity. So I have some questions for you right there in your notes. Do you see them? In a postmodern pluralistic world of relativism, truth is real. It's knowable. It's God-defined. It's unchanging. So three questions for you to consider. How and when does life begin? What's your truth answer to that? What happens after death? What determines your eternal future? What's your truth answer to that? What is the unchanging standard of right and wrong, truth and false? What's your truth answer to that? And then this question, who do you know that is not at this moment a new creation in Christ? Think about your family, your classmates, your co workers. Could you take a pencil and start listing names right there? People who you know at this moment, they have not trusted Jesus Christ and they will spend eternity apart from God unless they're rescued by Jesus. Could you list three people? 20 people? 50 people? Do you care? Really? I'm going to a place where statistically speaking virtually nobody knows of Jesus. I live in a place where statistically speaking a large number of people know Jesus but every person who knows Jesus knows people who don't know Jesus. Is there any better time than Easter to invite them to the Jesus who's made such a difference in your life, huh? And we've provided you with all these wonderful opportunities, so what's your plan? I've asked Pastor Mark to give us a moment right now for you to jot down some names and start praying right now, right now, that God would help you be the ambassador of Jesus Christ that he calls us. We are Christ's ambassadors as though God's making his appeal through us. So take your pencil. You always bring a pencil to Calvary, right? If you didn't bring a writing utensil, start listing them in your name, in your mind. Who are they? Start praying for them right now. God loves them very much. Jesus died for them. And start asking God to show you how you can be a part of God reaching to them. God, when your word speaks it speaks truth. And so I ask you to speak truth in these last few moments. In Jesus' name, amen. The place where I'm going, people go in and out of there often. But this week I have been asking myself a hard question. What if something goes wrong for me? What if this is the last time I stand here and I look into your faces? What if I don't come back? And I've been asking God this week, what's the last thing you want me to say to them? Will you give me 10 more minutes? Here's what I've been hearing. First, you tell them how important this book is to you. So I've told you that already. You couldn't buy it from me. If my house was on fire, this would be the first thing I'd run to get. Second thing, you know that I love my wife Dawn very much and my daughter April and my four grandbabies. But the single most important relationship in my life is this relationship. I'd be nobody, no place, living in a desperate situation if it wasn't for Jesus Christ in my life. And I want you to know that. there's been ever any question in your mind, God's Word and the person of Jesus Christ. And I know I have no guarantee, none, that I'll ever be back here. My wife Dawn doesn't have that guarantee. And I'm not foolish. As I said, people go in and out of this place all the time. You have no guarantee, do you, that you'll ever be back in this room. So look at what God's given me there in the last portion of the notes about the power and the truth of God's Word that's so important. First, God's Word is God's truth, and when the Holy Spirit of God applies it into your life and into mine, it changes us, doesn't it? That's why the old is gone and the new has come. God's word penetrates. Hebrews 4 says the word of God is living and active and it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit. It judges thoughts and attitudes. Nothing is hidden from God's sight. Do you regularly invite God to use his word to penetrate? To go down to that deep place where you're still broken because of what someone did or said to you. And the only way that deep place is going to heal is if God penetrates there by the power of his word, huh? Do you often ask God to penetrate, to search your whole life, mind, heart, soul, body, to see if there's any secret sin that you're covering up and holding? You know it's there. And you're hoping nobody else knows it's there. But it's rotten inside of you and you know it. The Word of God penetrates Unless you're blocking the Word of God from penetrating The Holy Spirit of God opens our minds It's that miraculous thing that we read about in First and Second Corinthians That the God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers So you cannot understand the Word of God Unless the Holy Spirit of God opens your mind and your heart to understand it So are you regularly inviting God, please pull back the layers on my mind so I can understand everything you want to teach me through your word? Or are you building up walls and being real selective about what you'd like to hear from God through his word? The word of God preserves integrity. Every man in the room especially, listen carefully. God's word builds, protects Preserves integrity. Psalm 119.10 How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to what? Your word. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And this was written 3,000 years ago. There was no internet pornography. My brother's if I had time I'd come to every one of you and look you square in the eye and grab you by the shoulders are you doing everything you can do to protect your mind and your heart and your soul and your family from the trash in our world that is trying to get in there and draw you into the darkness of that dark place that you know very well will contaminate your life and rip apart the relationships are you? God's word Immersing your mind and your heart in God's truth defeating that darkness putting up the walls around you so there's no way that junk gets in huh now dear women you know that's not just a man thing how about that darkness of envy or jealousy come on friends word of God Can you imagine pickling your mind in the Word of God, if I can use that phrase? Immersing it into the Word of God and opening your heart so that it's filled with the Word of God so that stuff has no chance in your life. God's Word nurtures wisdom. Have you found that to be true? Man, we live in such a complex world. We need God's wisdom, don't we? Every day, the choices and the decisions that face us. God's word guides your word is a lamp under my feet and a light unto my path I've kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your word have you found that when you have an important decision to make that's going to affect your family your your life your career you lay it before God and then you ask God speak to me through your word my there's so many pages here where I've got dates and I've got decisions that had to be made and God spoke to me through his word. It was so powerful, I knew exactly which path because I can't go in two directions at the same. How about you? The only reason that Don and I live here is is God very clearly said to us seven years ago now, it's time to leave Fargo and move to Williams Bay. We were very grateful for your invitation to come. But you may remember I stood on that platform October 22nd and I said to you, I can't be in two places at once. God is going to have to speak. And so I went to his word. How about you? God guides by the wisdom of his word. Have you found that? Have you taught it to your children and your grandchildren? Young ladies, God's word will guide you the rest of your life. you will open your mind and your heart to let him, the God who made the universe, guide you. God's word comforts. Aren't you glad? We live in a brutal world, don't we? And the truth is, every heart in this room has been broken. Me too. Every heart in this room has been broken. And have you found that God's word reaches down to that deep broken place and comforts and heals? Right? Right? And then I got one last one. You'll see it on the screen. You'll you'll see it here. This verse that I, I stumbled upon in Psalm 119. Not really, but... Great peace have they who love your word. Nothing can make them stumble. <laughs> Look at that, my dear friends. My guess is every person in this room, you would love it if you knew you could live at peace for the rest of your life. That your heart would be at peace with, with your family, your finances, your health issues. Peace. What would you pay for that? And stumble Can you imagine what it would be like to live the rest of your life knowing that God is going to protect you from stumbling, from making that really dumb decision that shames God, that ruins your reputation, that harms your family? Great peace have they who love your word. Nothing can make them stumble. Have you ever thought about the fact that, as far as we know, not one of the disciples had a Bible? In those days, the scrolls were very precious and rare. There was one in every synagogue, but I can pretty well assure you not one of them had a copy of the scrolls at their house. How many Bibles do you have in your home? (laughs) Maybe the Apostle Paul, because of who he was as a student and who he'd studied under, he perhaps had at least access to whenever he wanted to to one of the scrolls, all of the scrolls. What is the value to you of God's word? And if I never see you again after today, are you sure that we will spend eternity in heaven together, you and me? On the basis of the truth of God's word, are you sure that the moment that you breathe your last, instantly you're in God's presence? Are you sure that Jesus Christ is going to walk the rest of your life journey every day with you that nothing will ever happen in your life that's a surprise to God? Let's talk to him right now. God, I thank you for the six years that you've given me to be a part of this church family. And I know beyond any shadow of a doubt you've called me to the place that you're taking me for the next 10 days. And I trust you fully. And whether I return or not from that place, I trust you with my life. You made me. (laughs) You've given me every breath I've ever breathed. I trust you with my wife and my family. I trust you with these dear friends. God, God, please look deeply into each of our hearts. What would you like to do in our lives in these last two or three minutes before we leave this room? What would you like to accomplish in this county during this Easter season through each of us? As we worship, I urge you to talk to God. And if you've never trusted Jesus Christ, now is a perfect moment the quietness of your heart just acknowledge to him that you're a sinner and you know it and you can't help it but that you're confident that Jesus Christ is in fact God incarnate and his death on the cross paid for your sin so that as you ask God to save you from your sin and your sin condemnation he does that by applying the payment of Jesus to your sin he promises he places his Holy Spirit within you so you will never walk alone And that Holy Spirit, using God's Word, penetrates deeply in your heart, your mind, to do all that healing, cleansing, correcting work. Invite Him to do that now as we worship Him.